0: To Nightlight. This is another international nightlight show. And with me once again on the program is author Stephen Strutt, and he's speaking to me from his home in southern Scotland, I think, Steve. That's correct. Stephen, it's always great to have you on the show. Oh, my privilege. Over recent years, you've written a series of insight books, which you've talked about before on the program, including Enoch Insights, Jasher Insights, Jubilee Insights. And you're with us today to talk about Eden Insights. Eden Insights, that's right. And which book is this taken from? This is taken from the Lost Books of Adam and Eve. The Lost Books of Adam and Eve. Sounds interesting. The Lost
1: Books of Adam and Eve. And ever since the beginning, it's been, a, it's been a tough job doing this because on the one hand, I find the, the books very interesting, the Lost Books Academy. On the other side, I've actually critiqued the Lost Books Academy inside my book, in the appendix. You have a contrast because it's like you have some fantastic material. I like, like people to know, I like the Apocrypha books, but it doesn't mean to say I like them better than the Bible. I don't. I like the Bible first and foremost. Of course. But I find the apocryphal books fill in a lot of details and they give extra information of the same stories That's right. that you will find in the Bible. But in researching the lost books of Adam and Eve, I have had a big fight in doing it for different reasons. Now I love, I want to say I love, I like very much working with this project, but I've often had to take a stand back and look at the project from many different angles. Because there's a few things that's difficult to understand. For example, the content is quite remarkable at times. But at other times, the content seems like a bit faded away. Like as if somebody interfered with the content. Right. Now, as an author, as an investigator, as a researcher, the most important thing is, like you say, find the veracity of the content. Is it a real story? When was it written? Who wrote it? Can we verify it? What's the authenticity of it? Now, I can say, in investigating this many times, I come back to the same thing, that this book, like the Book of Enoch, and like the other Apocrypha books, was written a very long time ago, but it was reassembled in round about 100 BC by a Jewish scholar. Actually, I think it was a council of scholars, not just one. Which you can find all this information in the appendix of my book, right, uh, and the links to Jewish sites which explain it very well. Okay. But it seems that although they wrote it, apparently they say, well, it was written by an author in 70 to 100 BCE. But when you look into it further, you find that they were, other investigators say, no, he was just reassembling something that was much older. And there is the key. Therein is a key, because if we can find out that all the Apocrypha books were not just written by somebody on a whim to write a story or a novel, but they were actually collecting together stories from a much more ancient time, then it has a lot more veracity to the Apocrypha books, because as you know, there's been a big controversy about the Apocrypha books. That's right. Why were they taken out the King James Bible in 1885? And I've I've tried to fight for the Apocrypha books for for years because in studying them at length and and others tell me the same thing I'm getting people tell me yes I'm studying the Apocrypha books and I find them fascinating and the reason people find it fascinating is I think it's a bit like this personally I agree the Bible is about as big as it needs to be it's difficult to also have the Apocrypha books in it and I found out the main reason why the Protestants cut out the uh, 15 apocrypha books in 1885 was not some big spiritual thing or some kind of conspiracy theorist i know they cut the apocrypha books out purely for financial reasons it's true because if you have a book that's this big this wide and only a few people buy it you're not getting anywhere you make it smaller and you get a lot more people read it and you can have the apocrypha separate as another book that's pretty much what they did that's what they did i mean although as i mentioned to you before on your show that one british historian in 1954 stated that buying a book with a uh, 100 page missing out the center is not a very good buy of a book <laughs> right and that was his opinion he was a british historian yes i read that but um i i think that in studying all of the apocalypse why have i come eventually to this book the lost books of had and Eve? that's a very good question
0: Whoa. nightlight insights
1: well, I've been very interested to read these
0: books, although I was never quite sure which one to read because they're different titles, like the Lost Books of Adam and Eve, the Gospel of Adam and Eve, Slavonic Book of Adam and Eve. It's
1: a bit confusing. They're, they're generally telling the same exact story. I have, like, in the appendix of my book, you'll see all all the information on this, the the backup to how the books are put together. But it is true there are Latin versions. There are. Greek versions, there's uh, Slavonic versions. The thing that is interesting, this book has caught the fascination of many nations, and they made their own version of it through time. That's what makes it very interesting. The modern critiques talk about the lost books of Adam today and say, well, look, to have books that have been translated into so many languages and um, still keep pretty much the same story There's got to be something in it. It can't be just been made up by somebody a couple of thousand years ago. There's more to it than that. Good point. And I think we can trace the um, lost books of Adam and Eve to probably as far back as uh, somewhere like the Book of Enoch. Something in pre-flood times. Wow. That is my opinion from what I've done in studying it. That It goes very far back, but it's been kept as a story through generations. The lost stories of Adam and Eve. And it's been recompiled again much more fully in 100 bce now i want to bring out another point i think i mentioned this before but we we were talking about current events at the time so at this point i'd like to do that i've researched very recently that i think your audience will find interesting okay when we talk about the apocrypha books especially like the book enoch jasha jubilees and now you've got the lost books of adam and eve and also Second Esdras. And there are many more of them. I've, I've so far worked with the biggest ones. The biggest books. And, and the ones that I thought were the most interesting. Because of the content. Of having some amazing things in each pocket of a book. It's no different with this one. The Lost Books of Adam and Eve have incredible content. Um, I just want to give an example here. So I stick to the subject matter here. What is fascinating with the Lost Books of Adam and Eve is that you have a book here that doesn't just give you a lot of knowledge, doesn't just give you a lot of interesting stories, and there are many, many interesting stories. This Eden Insights, the book I put together, I have made it so there's 120 chapters to this book, basically taken from the first and the second Lost Books of Adam and Eve. What is astounding, I think, is that the whole book is very shocking. The book is shocking. That's the only way to describe it. It gives such detail about Adam and Eve, from what it was like emotionally, physically, spiritually, in having to leave a paradise, a wonderful, incredible place as the Garden of Eden, and then being thrust out into this physical world where we're not shown that in the Bible. In the Bible, maybe because the need to keep things relatively short, concise, the Story in Genesis about Adam and Eve is relatively very short. It's hardly more than uh, one and a half, two chapters. That's all it is. It doesn't show much at all. That's right. But in the this lost books Adam and Eve, it shows amazing details. Now the question is, how did somebody get hold of this information? Because as I said when I was doing Enoch insights, it's impossible to say that that book was just put together in 300 B.C.E and written by somebody then, somebody pretending to be Enoch and and writing it. As I said in Enoch Insights, that's not possible for that to happen. The reason being simple, the contents in the book itself talk about stuff that we hardly know about now, and he certainly didn't know about 2,000 years ago. It talks about something much deeper, and from further away in time that... Things happening, as you know, in the book Enoch, things that you can't explain, even with modern thinking and modern science. You cannot explain th- some of the things like Enoch's talk about. Like, you know, we're beginning to know, science is beginning to know now about things like portals, for example. Well, Enoch talks about portals in his book. So, there's, there's a lot of stuff like that that we're only scratching the surface with deeper content that exists in the Apocrypha books. My critique sometimes is like this. Sometimes you get some fantastic information. You go, wow, that's incredible, amazing. But then you'll come to a chapter where you don't hardly understand anything. <laughs> you know, it's kind of vague or, or it seems out of place or something like that. But what I learned in, in um, working on this book, Eden Insights, which I've enjoyed doing, is um, not to be too critical or not critique things too much, and, or you know, but to try and understand why The chapter is the way it is. And also, try and find out, is that the original text, or has it been altered? Right. Has somebody influenced it? Because what I found out, one of the first things I found out about the lost books of Adam and Eve, was the guy that put it together in about between 70 and 100 BCE, he was part of the, I think it was called, if I'm not mistaken, the Nicene sect. Nicene Jewish sect and these guys believed in keeping women separate from men really okay they were celibate so how can a, cel- how can a celibate person write about Adam and Eve good point <laughs> now that, that's an interesting question isn't it? so that's why you'll find when you read the story of um, Eden Insights you'll sign, you'll find some chapters of the original text they make perfect sense but then you wonder Why is this um, like uh, seeming separation of the sexes at time? Why? And it's because it's the influence of religion over the book. These books over time. I would say 90% of the book is is fantastic. I'd say that about 5% of it has been influenced by religion at some time or other. Whether it's a Catholic church or the Orthodox church or by uh, some Jewish sect or something in in the BC times. But it's well worth reading the, the um, lost books of Adam and Eve. What I try to do with the um, these books, insights books, is to exactly that. Give people more insight by making the text available. Then make comments and say, well, where, where have we seen a situation like this happen before? Is there something similar to this in the Bible? And then I put Bible verses in it. And I put other Apocrypha verses in it to show... They all say the same thing. That's the wonderful thing I'm finding. I'm finding you get the Bible agrees, the Apocrypha books agree, they say it slightly differently, sometimes the time is a bit off. I don't let that bother me too much. I, I'm not a perfectionist. I don't have the, I don't see the books in such a way like, well, if they don't all agree with the Bible lock, stock and barrel and every detail, then I'll throw it out. That's how some people are. I'm not like that. I think that the Apocrypha books have a lot of merit. And obviously, King James and people who put the Bible together thought so. They put the Apocalypse in there, 15 books of them, in the King James Bible. That's right. So they thought they were valuable. And I think that a lot of people today still find it valuable. They do. The Catholics use them.
0: Oh, yes, Steve. The Catholics and the Orthodox churches have the Apocryphal books in their Bibles, and they actually make up 75% of the world's Christians. So if you think about it, only 25% of the world's Bibles don't have the Apocryphal books in them.
1: Well, there you go. The Protestants, they really lost the plot because I've had people write to me and talk to me and say, Oh, I wouldn't want to be without the Apocrypha books. The Apocrypha books are valuable. They're saying that in their own right, and uh, I can understand what they mean. But for most of my life, I didn't even know they existed, you know, coming from the West. Well, even I
0: didn't know anything about them, Steve, until you came on this program and talked about these books, like Enoch and Jasher, Second Estras, Jubilees, and that inspired me to record books of them, which are now very popular on YouTube.
1: Yes, that doesn't surprise me.
0: And now you've got me really excited about recording this one for YouTube, also. <laughs>
1: no, you'll find it. You'll find it absolutely fascinating. Like I said, it's the strangest thing. i had a love-hate relationship with that book, and I, you know, because I say to my wife sometimes, "That chapter's incredible, but the next chapter, forget it. What's what's going on? What 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 are these guys saying? You know." Uh, and then and then she said, well, maybe she we should be more patient with it, you know, and take it easy. So I said, okay, Lord, help me to be patient, take it easy, look at it from a different angle. And lo and behold, I began to see, look, you can't judge a book that's put together 2,000 years ago with skepticism from modern times. You can't do that. If you're going to write a book, you've got to write believing that the content must have a lot of value to it. Otherwise, you wouldn't have it in so many languages, so many people interested in it. It's got to have a lot of value. That's right. Now I find the book incredible. I I do. Even the parts that formerly I didn't like so much or maybe I even critiqued at times. But I'd say, like I say, 90% of the book is well-readable. It's exciting. It's interesting. What is outstanding to me is the reactions of Adam and Eve. The reaction. it, It shows these guys totally heartbroken at being kicked out of the Garden of Eden. It shows that before... They got kicked out. They had a bright nature. They were lit up with light. Interesting. They were um, different. They didn't. They couldn't even walk. What I mean by that is, when they came to the gate and okay, the angels okay, out sort of thing. They couldn't react. They didn't know what to do. They didn't even know how to walk because they were used to floating. They were used to floating. Shining loves light. You're listening to Nightlight have you seen the picture that sue my daughter drew of the front cover yes i've seen the front covers it's just fantastic <laughs> Actually, i have the poster right there it's right over a big poster of it
0: yeah i love it i love it
1: the thing is that the garden of eden was far more fantastic than is brought out in the bible wow the bible hardly touches on how fantastic the garden of eden was the garden of eden was much more like on a higher level spiritually somewhere between the physical realm and the spiritual realm of heaven wow. somewhere in between that's what it brings out the book brings out look the garden of eden it wasn't just a garden god created and they left one garden and they went outside to another place no because that's all you see in the bible it was a fantastic place it was more spiritual than it was physical and adam and eve were so connected when they were in a, in, a, in the garden of eden to god they could see god and his angels above them they could They could hear God's angels praising God. They could interact with them. And and the joy they felt in connecting with God and Jesus and and, and the Holy Spirit was so intense that they couldn't stand to live when they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They could not stand it. It was an agony to them. Gosh. I've never read anything like this the lost books, Adam and Eve. Because a good book gives you knowledge, a better book will also give you God's wisdom. Wow. And in this case, it also gives you a lot of emotion, the emotions they felt, and it gives you a real sense of brokenness and compassion for Adam and Eve. You, you learn so much in, re- in reading these lost books, Adam and Eve. We learned a lot. And I couldn't have done the book without my wife because being about a man and a woman, Adam and Eve, it's much better if you can, in my case as an author, counsel with somebody, counsel with a woman. How does she see this? How do we see it today? How does it relate to the past? So we've had a lot of fun working together. It's been a uh, working together as a couple to make this book Eden Insights. Wow, that's great. And I have never, uh, I, honestly, I've never been so sometimes joyful, sometimes teary-eyed in reading this book, because, boy, Adam and Eve, in my, in my eyes today, I've got like a hundred times the opinion of them that I did when I just read in the Bible because these guys are real heroes. They're real saints. They are a fantastic example. They went through hell and back. They paid a high price. They made some terrible mistakes like everyone else. (laughs) But it gives so much more description into their lives both before they got kicked out of the garden and once they were outside. It's, It's shocking because... And there's another wonderful side to the story I'll bring out now. Is that it brings out clearly, although Adam and Eve, they behaved like little children when they first came out of the garden. Like little children. Totally lost. Because they were used to seeing God and Holy Spirit and his angels and Jesus. And having a connection was perfect. Perfect light. And they don't want to be anywhere else. And suddenly they're thrust into this seemingly dark world here. Where they had to dig out a garden for themselves and stuff, and they weren't used to doing those sort of things, not out of nothing. It's fantastic because it brings another side of the story. And the other side of the story is you see the great love and compassion of God that He's actually working in the background with Adam and Eve, although they can't see Him anymore. And they think that's disastrous because they can't see God. They have to little by little learn to live by faith and not by sight. And eventually they find out actually God is a is a father and a mother to them. They say so themselves, and he takes care of them. But for the first 60 days, when they left the Garden of Eden, according to this story, they were totally shattered emotionally. Totally shattered. They couldn't do anything. In In the book, it brings out that they attempted suicide. Adam jumped off a mountain. Yeah, stuff like this. Really? They, you know, they attempted suicide, and then uh, eventually and God taught them and here's another side of the story that's beautiful. It says God sent his word to them, personifying Jesus as the word of God, actually visiting them.
0: Wow, it's amazing. It's,
1: it, that's what it shows. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's you'll, you'll love it. If you get the time to read it, you're going to love it. And if you record it, you'll you you, will, you have a lot of fun. <laughs>
0: I'm looking forward to it.
1: But like I said, don't worry about some idiosyncrasies in some chapters. You know, don't worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> it, I find it absolutely fabulous because it talks about Jesus as the word of God. It talks about God says, I will send my son, the word of God, the creator, your creator, whom you defied in doing what you did. And that's where you're getting kicked out. You know, God says it so clearly. You've got God, the father. You've got Jesus, the son. You've got Jesus, the word of God. So whoever put that book together here's what doesn't make any sense, which is fantastic. If that book was put together in 100 BCE by a Jewish guy who was from a a sect that believed in the Nicene sect, which means separating the sexes most of the time, even animals as well as humans. Really? You can look it up, what the Jewish website says about it. Then how come he managed to bring out the things that he did, even if he did put it together and he did have those opinions from religion it didn't stop some amazing things from coming out that there's no way he could have made up there's no way it's it's obviously it came from pre-flood times and if i'm not mistaken the first person well there's a discussion who was the first writer in pre-flood times people say it was enoch others say no it was the great grandfather enoch um, who was the first writer but it's just a, discussion as who was the first writer but anyway i think one of them probably put together the story of the lost books adam and eve and then there's evidence at the end of the story when it talks about adam dying when adam died he said you need to write a record of what's happened to me and eve like he was saying here's some of the notes i have got, but i need a proper book written about this so you get that in the book itself I mean, it's absolutely fascinating the details in it. Like I said, I worked more on this book, this apocryphal book, than the other ones. The light is always on with nightlight. I mean, this, here's another fantastic thing for the those of the Orthodox Church as opposed to the Catholic Church. This is interesting information here. Uh, I saw this at first where it mentions in chapter three God says, i send my word to you, the Creator. Because Adam and Eve keep trying to get back into the Garden of Eden. They try every sneaky way they can think of to, to make an excuse for getting back, in, back into the Garden of Eden. <laughs> but they get stopped by an angel there with a flaming sword, as you know from the Bible, right? But they still try. You know, they still try to get back in. Do they? <laughs> and they get in a lot of trouble by trying to. It's very interesting. But then God sends his word and talks to Adam and Eve and says, look, you won't get back into the Garden of Eden until I, the Word of God, come to earth and am your Savior. And that will happen in five and a half days or 5,500 years. That's what it says, 5,500 years, it says in that story. Now, that's a funny number. Why would they why would write 5,500 years from the time of Adam and Eve until the Lord? Right, right, and I've written extensively about it in my book, mostly in the appendix. Okay, and then I also found out that lo and behold, the number five thousand five hundred is nothing new. That's the exact number of the Orthodox Church, and those into the um, the Greek side of the Old Testament, like the Septuagint, they say the same thing. They say there was five thousand five hundred years from Adam and Eve until Christ. Right. Whereas in the Catholic Bible and the Protestant Bible, we say no, it's more like four thousand years. So there's this controversy. Was it four thousand years from creation to Christ, or five and a half thousand years from creation to Christ? It's just a difference between the Greek translation and the Latin translation. Right. That is what makes this difference in time. Okay. But that makes an interesting subject in itself, which I talk about a lot in the apocrypha of the book. But it's interesting that God in the book told Adam and Eve there'd be more or less five and a half thousand years from the time they were until they would get deliverance or salvation. But I'm not so bothered about the exact dates or that It just makes it interesting topic to talk about. You know? At least it's not millions it's not millions of years since since Adam and Eve <laughs> right. until Christ came. It's in the thousands of years. So I think we'd all agree on that one. Yes. So that's one of the topics the other one I told you about, how they stated they had a bright nature before when in the Garden of Eden, that they were totally different. Right. And then there's quite a few prophecies about Christ here in these, his books, about three prophecies. Interesting. And then the other outstanding thing is, and this is in book one, is how sneaky Satan is. This book really shows up um, uh, Satan as being a really nasty character, really sneaky always trying to trick Adam and Eve and always trying to kill them and destroy them. Brilliantly done. Absolutely brilliantly done. Wow. Because in my opinion, modern times, people uh, try to say, oh, there's no Satan. That's just just an idea. It's not real. It's just a personification of evil. But this, that's not what these books talk about. They mention exactly how Satan operates. They mention how his fallen angels operate. They mention how they trick people, masquerade, Come in different appearances, all kinds of things like that. One of the chapters is called Satan the Deceiver, and many ones like that. But the second book, Adam and Eve, is even more interesting than the first one. The second book of Adam and Eve is all about how evil really got going in pre flood times. And the Bible mentions it with one little verse. And it's really, yeah, some people say, Oh, I know. It was when the fallen angels came down. No, that's part of it. That, that amplified it when the fallen angels came down in the time of Jared and Enoch, his son. But no, there was something else going on. What really started it off was the curse of Cain. God said to Cain, you will be cursed and anybody who harms you will be cursed seven times. You remember that, right? The curse of Cain. Yes. Well, Cain, according to the Jewish books, He never did repent in any way. He just avoided God, and he started his own existence like today. The truth is whatever I say it is. And actually, a lot of those today who rule, a lot of these people ruling today, these people are causing all the trouble, they say their bloodline goes back to Cain, and they're careful to keep their bloodline to Cain. That's right. These people who rule today and say the truth is whatever they say it is, they are Cain's line. They say so themselves. That's quite remarkable. But anyway, here it talks in detail about Cain's bloodline. People have got it wrong when they say that in pre-flood times, oh, the women made love with the angels and they seduced the angels. They've got that a bit wrong. You've got to quantify who is seducing who. What really happened, and which is brought out in this second book of Adam and Eve, it started with Cain and then his daughters and then eventually... You had what was called the the sons of Cain. Well, It was actually the daughters of Cain who were the licentious daughters who attracted the fallen angels. It wasn't all the women. Right. It wasn't all the women who were guilty. The women who were guilty were the daughters of Cain, the licentious daughters of Cain. That's what it brings out clearly. Interesting. And in this book, The Lost Books, Adam and Eve, book two, it brings out how it started with Lamech the blind. Lamech was not the not the one who was the son of Methuselah and the father of Noah. Much earlier in time, there was another Lamech and he was a descendant of Cain, about seven generations. He was, um, strangely, because I found out that the people before the flood, they didn't get sick. There was no infirmities before the flood. Infirmities were started, according to the Book of Jubilees, after the flood, when the demons came back to torment people who had been the giants. They had been the giants before the flood. They became the disembodied spirits of the giants after the flood. And they're the ones who started all the sickness. Shows it very clearly in the Book of Jubilees. Very, very well done. But it's it's more than that. They had this one guy called Lamech, the blind. When he got old, for some reason, he was going blind. And he went out, it shows in the Bible this bit, and he goes out hunting one day, and he was the guy who killed his great-great-grandfather, Cain. And because he killed Cain, he got cursed seven times. Right? right. And he said, whoever kills me is going to be cursed 70 times seven. But the interesting thing is about Lamech. You can see that within a generation, those curses happened. Those curses happened. And you find that his sons were Jabel and Jubal. You look that in the Bible, who Jabel and Jubal were. Jabel and Jubal and Tubal-Cain. These guys... They're the ones who started a lot of the evil that happened in the pre-flood world. They're the ones who started off. One of them started to get people into excessive drinking, more like what you call pubs today, and and, uh, um, loads of drinking, and making weapons, and violence, and um, idol worship. These are the guys who started off, the sons of Lamech the Blind, who was a descendant of Cain, and who also accidentally killed Cain with a bow and got cursed for it interesting from that pivotal point just as god said to Cain, whoever kills you is going to be cursed seven times but what i always thought that's just a personal curse no his whole family was cursed and then everybody after that it says each generation became worse and worse and the, the women were licentious it says it got to the point where mankind did not distinguish between your mother your sister your daughter it was all game. That bad. And that's when God says, I've got to destroy this place. It shows it really clearly in this book, Lost book of Adam and Eve. I mean, it gives a lots of more information along the lines of um, what people know in Genesis 6, the fallen angels and the licentious women. But another sad part of the story is, is that you get the father of Enoch, Jared, He is supposed to have been one of the saddest persons before the flood because he was right in the middle of time and he could see everything was falling apart. And it says he became very strict to try and keep the sons of Seth, which was the righteous, so-called, on the mountain in the story because it personifies everything on a mountain as those who are righteous and good. He tries to keep his people on the mountain. But sadly, he sees that They get more and more attracted by the sons of Cain and the licentious daughters of Cain down below the mountain. And eventually they got won over to all backsliding. And you end up eventually with a few hundred years before the flood, only three men and their families survived as the righteous. So for people to say the sons of Seth were the righteous, yeah, they survived for a while. But then they came down the mountain. And that's why you ended up with only three men, Methuselah, Lamech, the good Lamech, and Noah. And in fact, they were the only ones left. And as you know, Lamech died five years before the flood and, and uh, Methuselah died two months before the flood. Noah was left with his wife, three sons, and their wives. And that's, that's how it ended up. Like a candle in the night, it's nightlight. I mean, the story's fantastic as brought out in uh, the Lost Book of Adam, I mean, the second book. It's remarkable. And like I said, it does have that verse in the Bible about Lamech the blind and um, his sons Jabel and Jubal and uh, Tubal-Cain. But it was those three. And in, in this book, <clears throat> it says that one of those guys, one of those sons of Lamech was totally possessed by Satan from birth. Wow. it yeah, says he was possessed by Satan from birth. And, and Satan taught him... As you know, if you look in Ezekiel, it talks about Satan that he was created with musical instruments in his body, remember? That's right. Right? Yeah. Well, it shows this in this story. It shows that Satan comes along and he teaches Jubal, he teaches him all kinds of musical instruments. And he says with these musical instruments I'm going to you're going to use them to entice people and hypnotize people and you're going to lead those sons of seth on the mountain you're going to lead them astray it's incredible i mean you've got to read it i never seen anything quite like wow. it it fills in so many gaps that it gets me back to what i said before the apocrypha books fill in a lot of the details and the gaps that most people and i didn't before didn't have a clue i think you'll find this book eden insights fascinating for many different reasons many different reasons i try to make it as uh, comprehensive as possible and putting as much information about the, how it was put together, who wrote it, and many other topics. And even I've added in there stuff from modern scientists. As I like science a lot, I like history a lot, I like Bible history a lot. And so I put a lot of comments in there, especially in some of the chapters have up to 40, 50 comments or commentaries. Terrific. Because there are so many angles to cover in this book. I'll give you just one example. Right near the beginning of the book, there is just one verse there that talks about something amazingly strange. Here's a statement, more or less, I'm paraphrasing, just just right near the beginning of the book. It says this, When Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden, to the north of them there was this big area of water. We'll call it lake, sea, whatever you want. But it says, If any man was to fall into this water... He would be healed of any sickness and forgiven of anything he'd ever done wrong. I thought, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, that's a pretty big statement. What's it talking about here? There's stuff like that that's intriguing. I, I explain it, uh, but I won't talk about it now, but just to say it's very intriguing. And then you get another statement like, if you looked into this water, you could see deep into the earth. And I said, whoa, wait a minute, how's that even possible? So I go and investigate that and find out, and it's incredibly deep, incredibly deep spirit, I mean, in, in every way, blew me away, totally blew me. So you find that at the beginning of the book, the explanations I give there. I find the book, indeed, it's very deep, very spiritual, uh, it's very emotional. Like I said, I, I've never had a book where sometimes I'm laughing, sometimes I'm crying, and sometimes I'm praying, and sometimes <laughs> it really affects you. The book affects you because... You get, to, you get to understand Adam and Eve much better. You get to feel what it was like to be Adam and Eve. Amazing. What it was like to go through. And also, as many have said, especially in the Jewish community, and I think um, Catholics, that the story of Adam and Eve, as it stands in the Bible, is fine for children. It's perfect. It's fine the way it is. And I think that's the intention. But a lot more went on than meets the eye than just Eve eating an apple. I've since found out that actually it wasn't an apple, it was a different fruit. I won't go into that now, so that's just detail. Right. I wrote in the back of my book that there's a lot of evidence that a lot more went on in that Garden of Eden. They weren't kicked out of the Garden of Eden just for eating a fruit. Interesting. There was something far worse they did. You'll have to find out what by reading the book. (laughs) You know Nightlight.
0: You're listening to an international edition of Nightlight. Shining God's Love Light. To the world wow steven i can hardly wait to read it it's now on amazon right
1: yes it's on amazon right now it's just come out it's is a paperback and it's also on kindle it's about 400 pages wow i just want people to know i have sent pdf copies to people friends and that and a female but the truth is having a pdf copy with a book like this is not enough you need the book and the reason why it's a study book These books are studies books. These insights books are not intended to just like read in a big hurry. They're not designed that way. They're study books. You've got to have the time to be able to pray over what you're reading, meditate on it, and see what you can learn from it. Because if you do, it'll give you a lot of wisdom. That's right. The books are designed, like I said, to not only give you knowledge to tickle your fancy, but it has a lot of God's wisdom in it. It has a lot of fruits of God's spirit in it. And if you embrace it, you will learn so much. I mean, my wife and I, we're, we're so happy that we've taken the time to slowly do this. And it's like whatever you pour out, God pours back in you. If you want to. <laughs> So it's been a great joy to us to work on this book, although it's been a tremendous fight. I think it's something that people need. But I would suggest that even if you have a PDF copy of this book, you'll be better off having the real book because you can study at leisure. You can take it where you want.
0: Absolutely. And
1: um, you can even mark the page or whatever you want to do. What I would ask that the people who do get the book, if you like the book very much, if you find it very helpful, then tell others about it. Tell others about these amazing topics that happened there in pre-flood times. That's right. Because you'll find that pre-flood times, there's not enough written about the pre-flood times. There's not enough assembled about that time period of what exactly happened in the 1,500 years before the flood. Uh, starting with these lost books, Adam and Eve, and then you've got the book of Enoch. But that's about all we have. You'd think that over a 1,500-year period. We'd have hundreds of books from the pre-flood times, but we don't. We don't have a few. I'm, I'm trying to get those few. <laughs> it's never completely dark when you're listening to Night
0: so listeners, if you want to order Eden Insights as well as any of Stephen's other Insights books, you can order them directly from Amazon and they're also available on Kindle. Anyway, God bless you, Stephen, for the incredible amount of research and work that you've put into writing these wonderful Insights books. And listeners, let's show our appreciation by buying these books on Amazon or Kindle or directly from Stephen himself. His website is www.edininsights.com. Out of the bottomless pit.co.uk. Well, that's it from me for now. I'll be back with you very soon for another international nightlight show. God bless you. Bye bye. <laughs>